Good evening. It's good to be with everyone. So some of you are probably thinking, who is this guy? How old is he? Well, my name is Cole Rogers, and I've been estimated to be anywhere around the ages of 18 to 23. Um, people are generally confident in their estimate, and to their amazement, I happily inform them that I'm actually nowhere within those age, age ranges. So you might be surprised uh, to see, as some of the college students that I work with are, that I'm actually 26 years old, and no, I cannot grow a beard. <laughs> but I just want to take a minute to give you a brief introduction uh, of myself. So I currently work uh, and serve as a campus missionary with the Baptist Collegiate Ministry at ETSU. I've been serving there for just over a year, and I love college students, so I love the work that I get to do for the Lord. It really is a privilege, and I'm also a seminary student uh, at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where I'm studying biblical counseling. Um, home for me is Franklin, Tennessee, although all my dad's family is from Kingsport. Um, so I've been up this way several times. But before I moved here uh, in August of 2017, um, Oh yeah, okay, so I've been up here a few times, but my family's pretty spread out, so my family lives in Franklin with my younger brother, Luke, and my older brother lives in Europe with his wife as he serves our U.S. military, um, so I'm very grateful for that. Um, so like I said, my family's very spread out and more than we would like to be, but that's just how life is sometimes. Um, some of you may have noticed that I've been attending Trinity Baptist Church for a consistent couple months. And for the past eight or nine months, I've had the pleasure of really being discipled by Nathan, uh, who's been a man of God for me uh, to look up to and to learn from and just to walk beside in the faith. As a sidebar, one of, my, one of the many things that I admire about Nathan and that he's, is that he really loves the Lord uh, with all of his heart. And it shows in many ways the way that he loves his family, the way he loves his congregation. Um, but I think the one that sticks out to me the most is I can see it in his preaching. Um, the way that he declares the gospel with clarity and with passion. And so if I can do that tonight with even just half that ability and desire, then I think God will be pleased. Uh, so let's begin by opening up the word of God to the book of Psalms, chapter 32. And we'll read that and then I'll pray for us. Uh, but while you're flipping there, I'll just kind of give you... A little information, if you don't know, um, that Psalm 51 is comparable with Psalm 32, so to be, that they are all, both in relation to David's adultery with Bathsheba. And Psalm 51 is being written by David as his confession, and Psalm 32 is looked to be written as David's whole experience. Uh, before and after his confession and affair with uh, Bathsheba. And so let's turn to Psalm 32, starting in verse 1. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle, from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you in the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come tonight so thankful, like Mark said, for our salvation. God, you have not left us here. You have not put us here for no purpose. But God, we are here to serve you. So I pray tonight, whatever baggage, whatever sin we have coming in here, God, that you would open up our hearts, make blind eyes see the sin, and God, that we would confess. Lord, let us see your beauty tonight in your word. I pray that you would speak the words through my mouth. And God, would you bless our ears with what you have to say. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, the main idea is that Christians can have confidence on the other side. Sorry, let me say it again. Christians can have confidence that on the other side of their confession is joy. Christians can have confidence that on the other side of their confession is joy. So I want to give you an illustration maybe you're familiar with, maybe not. It has to do with the show Cops. I grew up in the 90s, so that's a show I used to watch. For those of you unfamiliar with the show Cops, summed up, it's basically a television show where a cameraman rides along with a police officer as he does his preventive patrol around a particular city. And basically his job is to record the events that take place. As you can imagine, this show reveals pretty serious things that police officers go through on a daily basis, but also quite interesting situations as well. During this one particular stop, an officer pulled over this black 90s Jeep Cherokee. Of course, the majority of the show is recorded at night, because that's when the interesting things happen. So this police officer walks up to this black Jeep Cherokee with his flashlight aimed in the driver's side window. The officer stops just before he gets to the door and shines a flashlight on the driver's face. As any person would squint in the face of this bright light shining in his eyes, the driver did not seem to be bothered by this extremely bright light. With the driver's pupils being the size of a dime and the stench of marijuana coming from the vehicle, it was obvious to the officer that this man was on drugs. The officer then asked for the driver's license and registration. And upon receiving them, the officer noticed that the picture in the driver's license was not the same guy in the driver's seat. Come to find out, the driver had given him someone else's license. And you can begin to see how this is going to unfold. After a few moments, the officer asked a few questions regarding the driver's state of mind. Have you taken any drugs tonight, sir? If I were to search your car, am I going to find any drugs? Am I going to find any weapons? The driver continuously denied. The officer would ask again, 
So you're telling me that your pupils are dilated to the size of a dime, you're shaking, you smell like marijuana, and you're sweating profusely for no particular reason. Yes, sir, that's correct. The officer then asked the driver one last time, this is your last chance. This is your last chance. Are you sure you're not on any type of drugs? In a shaky voice, the driver responds, well, yes, I'm sure I'm not on any drugs. To no surprise, the driver was arrested and for driving while, under, while intoxicated and for having possess, possessing of narcotics. What I want you to see is this. The driver was not fooling the officer. Denying his own breaking of the law did not free this driver. The one person that he didn't want to know about his illegal situation was the one who did know about it. The evidence was stacked against him. It was clear that he was guilty. Yet, he still resisted to confess, denying more and more that he was in the wrong. Much like this driver, we Christians are the one who foolishly resist confessing our sin to God. Knowing very well that an attitude that we have, words that we've said, or bitterness that we've stored in our heart is sinful. And we often choose to reject the fact that we have done anything wrong. And little do we think about the misery that this unconfessed sin causes in our lives. In verses 3 through 4, David explains in great detail the agony that he is experiencing by keeping his sin silent. He says, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Unconfessed sin of the believer produces misery. Unconfessed sin of the believer produces misery. If you ever held back any sin or any confession of sin, which is probably safe to assume that all of us have, I know that I have, you've probably been affected by the guilt of that sin. This guilt produces misery in our lives. We feel the distance from our God. There's a loss of intimacy with the Lord, and it pains us to be away. This misery can also be experienced in our physical bodies. The fact that sin affects us physically is not something that we often think about. For example, anxiety. When we are really anxious about something, we can feel the repercussions of that in our bodies. We may have to see a doctor about medications or high blood pressure or might have a hard time sleeping. Sin taints the body. When we refuse to confess, we refuse the conviction of God. We pridefully inform God that he is actually in the wrong, not us. The result of this silence brings both spiritual and physical agony. As I was actually writing this sermon, I went through several periods of confession. To say it more accurately, I went through several periods of unconfession and then finally confessing all of it. At one point, I was so exhausted with the sin in my life, I, I, I wept. I said, God, I literally, I can't walk out of my room without sinning. I cannot walk out of my room. If you're like me, your sin feels overwhelming. 
and sometimes so much that you just leave it unconfessed. Well, I hope tonight that God will encourage you and that what I and what a lot of us expect least in our running is God's faithfulness. Yet there he is, faithful. Faithful to discipline me with his heavy hand, to exhaust me, that I might turn back to him like David, acknowledging my iniquity so that I can be restored with him and enjoy him closely. This is to say that the heavy hand of God, the misery that we experience away from him because of our refusal to confess sin is loving. He cares about us. So, is this spiritual aching something that you have experienced? Is this something that you are currently experiencing? And so I ask this, if sin makes us so miserable, why do we conceal it? Verses Genesis, or sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 10 explain this very well. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took of some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. In this story of Adam and Eve, the fruit was seen as delightful. Her and Adam were attracted to the fruit, and they took pleasure in eating it. And sin is attractive, but always presents shame. As we read in Genesis 7, it says that the both of their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they were both fully exposed. They then took the leaves that they sewed together and covered their nakedness. And when they heard the Lord, they hid. What is their purpose? To hide their sin from God. I know better than anyone that sin exposes us and shames us. So we attempt to cover it up ourselves. We think somehow, like the driver at the beginning of the sermon, if no one knows, well, no one knows. So the question must be asked, how might you cover your sin? I will give you a few examples of a couple fig leaves that you might hide behind. Is it a facade that is worn to inform others and God that you're not struggling? You might act like everything's okay, that you and God are good, when spiritually and physically your bones are brittle. Do you only allow for shallow relationships so you don't want to be exposed? Another way to ask this might be, are you afraid to let people in to your life? It might scare you to think that people, nonetheless God, might know your secrets. Do you blame sin on your personality? 
For example, you may be an ambitious and competitive person, but anger that derives from this is not your personality, it is your sin. Are you untruthful? And this can manifest itself in many ways, but it has to be in that what you do and do not, it can be in what you do and do not say. In other words, do you tell the truth with your words and your motives? Well, I believe that the Bible calls for us to burn our fig leaves and hide in God who knows our hearts and knows our sin. In Psalm 32, verse 6, David instructs us to do something that seems very hard for us and even almost even opposite or contrary to our nature. And that is to confess our sin immediately. Verse 6 says, Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. I resonated with this so much in that when we sin, when I sin, I often find the need to wait a certain amount of time to work up some kind of worthiness to approach God with my sin. We wait until we feel better about ourselves. And throughout my short life, I've found, I've thought this way many times. Okay, I feel better, so now I'll come to God with my sin. But I think in saying that, we play into the hand of Satan, having lost the wonder of what Christ has accomplished for us. Us who will always be completely unworthy to approach God on our own. Verses 5 and 7 say this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with, with shouts of deliverance. We can confess immediately because Jesus pardons our sin. We can confess immediately. And only through the faith and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are we pardoned. But indeed, in Christ, we are forgiven. Jesus Christ accomplished more for us than any amount of time can. We are not free of guilt because of our feeling of righteousness. We are not free of guilt for any other reason but that God is faithful to forgive when we confess our sin to him. As Christ, as our clothing, we no longer hide from God, but run to him as our hiding place. A God who served and suffered a death that we deserve, nailed to himself our shame and disappointment of our sin, that we might have fellowship with him. Christ endured the cross that we would confess immediately. So let us learn from our past sins, shedding off our pride or whatever it is that shields us from delighting in God's forgiveness. And this brings us to our last point, which is the main takeaway of this passage. The Christian is drawn out of hiding by the promise of joy. The Christian is drawn out of hiding by the promise of joy. When we come 
to the end of David's psalm, it concludes the exact same way it began, with rejoicing. But why? Why is David so happy? Verses 1 and 2 say this, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit is no deceit. David is happy because he has been released of the penalty of his sin. He understands how sinful he is, yet he is charged with absolutely none of his sin. May we too acknowledge our sin, yet believe it has been completely wiped clean. God has poured out his mercy and forgiveness through the cross and annihilated our debt. It has been paid for, and that is something worth rejoicing. Verse 11 says this, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David is happy because he has been released from the misery of his unconfession. He has been released from the misery of his unconfession. He has discovered a gold mine for the Christian life. Confession can now be pursued instead of avoided because we know ahead of time that confession brings joy. This God who made him from the dust and humbles him has blessed him. The God of the planets and the hurricanes covers us. We should be standing naked and alone and ashamed. But God offers the dust of this world his kingdom. He grants what we have such a hard time granting, forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, he removes the scars of shame from our hands and feet. He cleanses us, and in his arms we find safety. As David, we too can find joy in God, who relieves us of the burden of our misery of the unconfessed sin. We are happy because God has charged himself with our sin. When we confess our sin, we are released of the agony and experience the fullness of our fellowship with God. There's an article that was sent to me Monday night, and it's titled, The Secret Sin I Said I'd Share in Ten Years. A 22-year-old mother, now 32, writes about a sin that she'd been covering up from God and her family for three and a half years. She did so well to keep it a secret, but eventually became consumed by it. Here's what she said. I couldn't stop living the way I was living. I was too proud to even speak any of it out loud. I was sure that if I told anyone how I'd been living, they would reject me, they would hate me, and they would stop loving me. This woman had been bulimic for three and a half years. She begged God in secret to heal her, but the healing never came. Instead, she was led back to the same proverb every time. Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will never prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. 
mercy. Something she wanted but never felt so far from. God's conviction was on her to confess her sin, not only to him, but to her husband. She prayed for the Lord to grant her strength to overcome this on her own time and time again. Yet she was only weakened. It was September 10th, 2008, when she made a phone call to her husband, who was in a pastor's meeting at the time. She immediately unleashes all of her secrets and lies that she had led him to believe over the past three and a half years of their marriage. She then came before God in a posture of true confession of her sin to him as she, most of all, had resisted confession to him. Her husband displayed grace and she, they both agreed to see a Christian counselor. On the first day of counseling, she was given a journal to keep and write down each day all the things that had happened before she forced herself to throw up. Ten years later, that journal is still blank. Having written this story eight days ago, she has not once made herself throw up in ten years. God says, Christian, confess, and then you will find mercy. I'm grateful for a God who offers us joy for our shame who covers our nakedness. So may we approach God with confidence of our blessedness, of our joy, and return for our confession. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that you forgive. Lord, as I have personally just been overwhelmed with the amount of sin in my life. God, you are faithful to forgive. I ask God if we are convicted in this room of specific sin, or whatever it may be, God, that we would adhere to your commands. Lord, stir our hearts for you that we may make ourselves right that we may enjoy you. Thank you for your word that speaks truth to us and sometimes, God, makes our lives uncomfortable. But Lord, I ask that you would form us more into the likeness of your Son, to the praise of your glory. Amen.